0: welcome into to the think deeper podcast presented by focus press i'm one of your co-hosts will Harab, joined by joe wilkie and jack wilkie uh, we welcome the deep thinkers in to this episode the week after thanksgiving hope everybody had a Uh, Wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I know how Jack's Thanksgiving was because me and him spent it together. Absolutely dominating in Thanksgiving football. But uh, other than that, Joe, how was how was your Thanksgiving?
1: It was great. It was great. We had, uh, of course, the roles that I talked about last week. Fantastic. Um, It was it was a really good time with my wife's family. And then my family ended up doing something on Saturday. Um, they were, they weren't, uh, able to do anything on Thanksgiving. And so they kind of had a second Thanksgiving on Saturday. So we got to go down into Denver, uh, golden more specifically, and, um, got to see some hockey buddies and and some people that I had not seen in a long time, which was really cool. So it was, it was good. Two different Thanksgivings, extra fat, you know, (laughs) it's all good. Two Thanksgiving meals. That's somebody's living right. Oh yeah. Real good. How about yours, Will? And 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 I you guys text me, and this is a frustrates me. They text me with this video hey check out the football we got to play like you jerks <laughs>
2: yep. look like so hey. much fun
1: though jack texted me a picture after Wait, you got a little banged up
2: right i did i got beat up uh and i didn't even catch the ball uh making the diving play so it, it wasn't worth it in the end and i'm it was catchable to be doing that for the
0: stuff. record it was catchable <laughs> borderline borderline <laughs> uh, if you
2: couldn't tell will was throwing i was trying to catch and it did not work out and so my face is all scraped up but it was a blast food was great the harobs were uh, incredible hosts and uh, we had a great time Yep. We all know Will's a better
1: quarterback than you are a receiver, so I'm going to go And he's Will a better receiver
2: one. than I am, too, so
0: it's You can me, blame yeah. the age. You can blame yeah. the age. Uh, well, we'll go with uh, that but, one.
2: But <laughs> all right. Uh, before we get into this week's episode, and we're bringing Dr. Brad Harib back for his uh, follow-up to last week, uh, we want to tell you about what's going on at Focus Press. Uh, of course, it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all that. We've got big sales going on. Uh, some of our devotional books, especially our teen devos, are just $6 right now. Uh, and so a good stocking stuffer for your kids uh, coming up on Christmas. Um, Think Magazine bundles, uh, our DVDs and streaming videos. We've got a big sale going on those with the coupon code VIDEO20. You get 20% off. All kinds of other sales. Uh, go to focuspress.org sale. Uh, take advantage of that. Uh, that sale ends today, but on that website, focuspress.org sale, Uh, We've got all the Christmas sales that are going to be lasting the rest of the month as well. And so plenty of great stuff, uh, great spiritual faith building content for you you and your family, uh, for a friend, whatever the case may be. Go check that out. Uh, I think you'll find some really good stuff there. But if there's nothing else to add, let's go ahead and bring in Dr. Brad. All right, we are back for part three of three on this short series on sexuality. We are joined once again by Dr. Brad Harib. Uh He was with us last week to talk about the husband and wife's role uh, in sex and uh, really serving each other. This time we're going to take a little different direction. We're going to lean on his scientific expertise. Uh, he is a PhD of anatomy and neurobiology, University of Tennessee. It's a little bit higher medical degree than uh, any of us can boast whatsoever. Um, So what we want to talk about this week is reproductive issues. This is, as we said with this whole series, we want to discuss things that don't get discussed, but are real life things. Uh, I mean, one of our biggest concepts here is Christ is Lord over all of life. And this is something that every couple has to make decisions on. And yet we don't explain where the Lordship of Christ comes into contact with it. So we're going to look at um, contraceptives, uh, methods, fertility methods, the scientific side of it, but let's start off with uh, just kind of the, the generalities, the general point of reproduction, God's view of children. Uh, get us started on that, Brad.
3: Yeah, I mean, if, if we're going to talk about birth control, we got to first ask ourselves why are we trying to control it, especially in light of Psalm 127, uh, I think In America, we've taken a very negative look towards children. They are something that we see as a financial burden rather than a blessing. And so you look at at Psalm 27 and it says they were a reward. Why in the world would we be trying to um, restrict or get rid of something that God is blessing and rewarding us with? Uh, The answer goes all the way back to Margaret Sanger. A lot of people don't like to hear this, but the bottom line is she was practicing racism and eugenics and wanted to basically get rid of certain parts of the population. And so she helped initiate some of the research. She helped get behind the birth control pill, helped found Planned Parenthood, which, by the way, is primarily attacking a certain segment of the population. And so when we talk about birth control, please understand the real history goes back, has a very nasty, dark look to it. Fast forward now, almost 100 years, 75 years. And what we realize is uh, most pulpits, elders, preachers and Christians have adopted basically what Margaret Sanger wanted us to adopt um a very worldly idea, worldly look at controlling the the family size, reducing the family size and that's something that I think we we if we're going to be true to his word and true to the book as far as you know looking at it without biased eyes, we got to go back and ask ourselves why are we even trying to control him? to begin with dad i'm I'm curious because we've we've talked on this podcast before
0: about how we firmly believe god's design for the family is obviously man and woman for life and then being fruitful and multiplying having children that that's something that christian couples should pursue and that there are a lot of attitudes out there that are very negative in the sense that i'm no. I, i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather live my instagram lifestyle i'd rather have my own freedom and, and we can all agree that that's bad i'm curious about what would your response be? Because this is something that I've heard from people before. The argument of, well, I just, I really don't feel like we should be bringing children into this type of world that is going downhill so fast. And so on the surface, it appears as though that's an argument coming from maybe a bit of a better
3: foundation. I'm curious, as, that's as somebody, somebody that, that has heard
0: those, <laughs> what is your response? Yeah.
3: As somebody is wearing blinders that doesn't realize what history is all about. I mean, good night. We're talking Nero. Uh, sure. real persecution, coliseum thrown to the lions. And yet they're upset because they can't buy another vacation home or another <laughs> new car or a boat or whatever. Yeah. That's persecution for you. Now, what it really is, it is a very selfish, narcissistic approach to family. I want my time. I want me time. I want to control everything about it. And, and let me go ahead and, and kind of make an admission right up front. As we kind of dive into the whole birth control topic, Melinda and I were not counseled on this in any way, Um, which, by the way, if you are a preacher and you do premarital counseling, please listen to this podcast and please give real biblical advice. Don't just tell folks what we've heard generation after generation. Um, The assumption when we got married was ah, you just start taking the pill. And, you know, I can remember it even being to the point of, oh, you you start birth control, you know, a couple of weeks or months or whatever before you get married. So that by the time you say, I do, you walk down the aisle and you consummate a marriage that everything is, is good and in place. And we didn't stop to think and ask, hey, is is this okay? Is this ethical? Is this right? Is this the will of God? What we did was we simply just listen to what the culture was telling us and the culture was saying, ah, this is what everybody does. And, uh, you know, thankfully we through study through research along the way, researched it ourselves, realized our mistake, made some major changes. Uh, we're blessed with four children and yeah, I mean, folks have got to start changing the way they look at it.
1: I would say, um, and and I wholeheartedly agree with that, I think I I really am interested about the, which we're going to get into in a bit about this birth control discussion, Um, you being an expert on this and knowing a lot of those things. So Mm -hmm. a lot of good questions surrounding that, that I'll I'll save for later that this is bringing up for me. But going back to your question, well, on, you know, would it be better? Jesus does say concerning AD 70, woe is, you know, woe to the pregnant women in that day. Like it would be better to not be pregnant is really what he's saying. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 mentions something similarly in regards to marriage and how difficult it can be and so I do think that culture persecution timing does play a role but the way I look at that the way I'd answer that is we as Christians these days have a unique opportunity to outbreed the rest of the world. We're being outbred <laughs> by Muslims and right. and I mean truly like when Christians have a lot of kids it changes culture it's a very good thing. We have an opportunity to change things just from a numbers point of view in keeping them. Assuming you're keeping them faithful and, and you know, pursuing <laughs> which is a big assumption God, these days, but right, which yeah. is a big assumption, unfortunately. But I look at that and I say, what a good time to have kids! We're hardly hitting replacement rate, and so I don't even think we are at this point. And so, for Christians to go out and to replicate, that's part, in my opinion, of the Great Commission. Of going out of, of going back to genesis chapter one being fruitful and multiplying we're to do that spiritually i think we're to do that physically as well well and you see what's going mm-hmm. on
2: uh, japan right now they're ahead of us on this demographic game where it is a rapidly aging nation they're not having kids um uh, they've got you know just kind of the single male and female thing not leaving their parents basement and all that and it's going to collapse like it it really has long-term consequences this is so against our nature but yep. you've got there's a a group that goes and protests, um, and I don't remember what they're called. I'm, I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head. But there's also a, a subreddit. If you go to Reddit, um, child free, and it's people who have chosen went deliberately and said I don't ever want to have children. Uh, people who do have children are contaminating the world. There's a climate change element to it. There's things like that. You're you're ruining this for everybody. And I know my wife actually knew some girls that were kind of having a chat. Uh, of I don't want to have kids even when I get married. I want to just go get surgically stopped from ever having it. And, you know, this is just not something that's interesting to me. I am i don't want to live that life. And so you've got a lot of Christian couples doing that. In fact, we did a Think Fast on the your pet is not a child. You're not a dog mom. And, you know, for those that can't have children, for those that aren't married, for you know, it's a nice companionship. It's not a child. And yet we've got a generation that has chosen pets, travel, all these things we brought up over having children. So I'm going to put this question to you with Be Fruitful and Multiply in mind, with our, our natural design in mind. Is it wrong for a Christian couple, and there's extenuating circumstances, there is infertility that we're talking about. I'm not talking about those things at all. But for just your average Christian couple to decide we don't want children, is, is it wrong? And I'll say, I had, I've had multiple conversations with older people in the church, and they'll talk about their family and say, yeah, that's that's my son. That's my daughter. Well, I don't have any grandkids. I've I've got grand dogs. I guess they just decided to have dogs. But I don't have any grandkids. And you can tell the disappointment on their face. But they're also not going to say, "Man, I messed up." <laughs> like I don't know what these kids are doing. So there's something very about us that knows it's unnatural. Is it wrong? No.
3: So we obviously live in a in a fallen world. And part of that fallen world are things like genetic mutations uh various disorders diseases so if i knew a couple were you know set up in a, a situation where they were going to pass on something without a shadow of a doubt that would cause a child to be born that would be you know suffer a life of pain or just something really really heinous you might lean in the direction of, okay, if they want to make that choice not to reproduce and and pass on that mutation, I get that. But with the Bible describing it as a reward and the Bible continually talking about passing on a legacy through your seed, you have to ask why in the world would somebody not want to do that? That is a selfish mentality. And, you know, furthermore, look at what you're doing to the kingdom. You know, part of the way the kingdom grows is through our own families. And had we actually kept all of our families faithful over the last 50 years, imagine how much bigger the the church would be. Um, Joe, back to your point for just a second. You better get ready. If, you know, if you go the route of trying to outbreed people, not only is culture going to look at you funny but so are a lot of members of the church because let's let's just get real frank for a second we got way too many stinking members of the church who think i'm going to have my boy my girl i'm set i can vacation every other month i can get my car get my big old house my walk-in closets and all these things and when they see somebody walk up with four or five six children their immediate response is almost a cold up nose almost a Oh my word, don't you know what causes that? And so it's not just out in the world that people are going to look at you funny and, and say things. We got it in the church. Well, consider how much of the the Old Testament as you study the Israelites is built
0: upon the idea that you're not just supposed to stay faithful to God yourselves. You're supposed to make sure that you leave a legacy, the memorial stones. You make sure that your kids Dad, I think you used the phrase. I don't know where if you got it from someone else or if it's original to you. Multi generational faithfulness. You know, it wasn't just the idea of you and your generation stay faithful. No, it's you make sure that your kids for generations upon generations honor and respect and worship God. And 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 again, you you study Deuteronomy, Joshua uh, as as they're entering the promised land. So much of the Old Testament is built on that, and that doesn't fade away in the New Testament either. That's something that to me, Jack, to going back to your question. If your mindset or your attitude is, you know, I'd rather not mess with kids because they're an inconvenience or, you know, for whatever reason somebody wants to throw out, think about how much of the Bible you're pretty much ignoring. Right. Again, Old Testament,
3: New Testament. you look at everything from what are the requirements to be an elder? um, What are the requirements of older teaching younger? All the things that deal with parents teaching their children, the whole book of Proverbs, you cut out having a child because you don't want to not because you can I'm not saying, you know, that there's folks out there that have fertility problems. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I'm talking about people whose attitude is I don't want them. Then what you're doing is you're taking something that God gave you. That is sexual activity to reproduce. And you're saying, you know what, God, you can keep your reward. You can keep those blessings because uh, you know I'm 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 good right here on my own. And so you you ask the question: Is this sin? Um, we can't point to book, chapter, and verse, but I can point to dozens and dozens of verses in Scripture where it's conveying parents teaching, training, admonishing their children. And if you're purposefully getting, you know, bypassing that, then yeah, I think you got a problem.
2: It's crazy how much individual, cultural individualism seeps into our mind. And, and that's one of these things that I always talk about. Does a fish know when it's wet? Do we know how much the culture has influenced us? So I knew somebody from China and when they came over and they learned about abortion, they were horrified because they had had multiple of them. It was just kind of, and they're not told what it was. They're just told, oh, well, you get pregnant. You're not allowed more kids. Just go do this. It's just, it's just putting a stop to the whole thing. They, they had no clue what happened. And when they got over here, they were horrified but they didn't think any of it different of it. Well, I think that's so much of this that we're talking about. We're going to get into the pill and and IVF, different things like that. Oh, this is just what you do, and and in the same way. Well, oh, I don't I don't necessarily need to have kids. The implication of that is maybe a hundred generations since Noah came off the ark, all have culminated in, in producing me so I can watch Netflix and go to Miami a couple times a year and post on Instagram. That's the pinnacle Mm -hmm. that all of this was building to was that, and I'm going to stop it right here. It's, it's absurd. It's just, it is so you
0: put it like that. That is, that is sobering. It's so a historical,
2: right? It's so it all ends in me. I am the pinnacle, the point that all of this was building towards. It's ridiculous. So I'm going to flip the other side of the conversation here. Um, You've got, you know, very much in recent years, especially, you mentioned those families that walk into church with big kids, a growing belief, more and more people believing have a lot of kids. Uh, it was called for a while the Quiverful Movement. Um, the, the, the Duggar family, the 19 kids and counting, obviously, that story kind of took a bit of a dark turn, uh, sullied <laughs> the, uh, the idea there for a bit. But you'll see, and largely homeschool families, but there's still like the Irish Catholic thing and things like that of eight kids nine kids seven kids you know just these large families um and and that grows out of a biblical conviction you brought up psalm 127 3 uh you know that children are a heritage or a blessing and inheritance from the lord uh blessed is he who has a quiver full of them and so there is that side that just kind of says don't use birth control don't plan just kind of let god handle this on its own and so before we get into the preventative methods what are your thoughts on that
3: Oh, I, again, um, I'm kind of like Joe, let's outbreed them. You know, (laughs) if we're gonna, if we're going to change the world, part of the way in which we change the world is by producing warriors for him. How do we produce warriors for him? Well, obviously we can do one-on-one evangelism so I can go out and talk and teach the folks that I meet on a regular basis, but I can also do that through my seed, through my legacy uh, which I'll give credit where credit is due. My wife has done a phenomenal job of instilling biblical principles in our four children so that, you know, our, our tribe grows. And um, do I think that there are times and occasions where somebody may need to say, eh, not right now, uh, whatever chapter of life they're in? Yeah, I, I can see that. But at the same time, we got to go back and keep asking ourselves, why would, why, you know, what is, what's our, our driving factor? And are we really looking at children the way God does? Because I think if we stop looking at children the way God does, that's part of the reason why we're in the shape we're in in this world right now. We've got children who, you know, they're having double mastectomies at age 14. Folks, if kids are loved in a home with a father and a mother, Most of the time, they're not going to choose a double mastectomy. Mm.
1: Okay. So let me ask you this. We talked about, is it wrong to not have kids? And I think we all lean toward, if you have the ability to, I think somebody needs to be, they need to check their heart, so to speak on why they would not want to. And I think most of the time they'll find it's from selfish reasons. Maybe not, but seems like it. So is it wrong to cap the number of kids? And this is this is a difficult question because I think we we all disagree on this a little bit. My brother and I even disagree a little bit on this. Uh, Alyssa and I would love four. Now, how you how you make sure you put a cap on it is. Jack beats you, know, you by the way. Yeah, I know he's already he's already beat
2: me there um and and if you yeah we'll, we'll you see got, if you he guys doesn't three, have, you morning. could say i'm going to four and you could be the next to have twins so you know you just never oh, know there man. you go please don't joke about things like
1: that <laughs> no. um no i mean it's great seeing you with your twins it's, it's the cutest thing and to have twins in the family it, that just does not run in our line on any part of our side so it's really cool you guys just were just decided first. it wasn't one <laughs>
2: yeah
3: the bingo.
1: <laughs> that's exactly it um it's great to watch from a distance no let, i love my three kids we're looking at more
3: is it wrong yeah, let me answer your question. Um, I think God does a tremendous job of basically taking care of the woman's body in such a way that she's not going to have kids, you know, ad infinitum the rest of her life. If even talking about somebody like the Duggars who started early and were purposeful about having a large family you realize that there is now they've tapered off. And the reason they've tapered off is because her female body is not able to recover and to do that anymore. And so God has, has designed the human female in such a way that yes, you can have kids, but only so many and only for a certain amount of time. And Oh, by the way, when you were born, you had a set amount of eggs. And once those are used up, you don't get to go back to square one and try again. So you know, to the short answer to your question is, I, I think God actually is putting limits. Now, can you limit His number? Yeah, I think I think you probably can, but should you? And for that one, I'm going to throw it back to to Will, to Jack, to Joe, and just say, Yeah, Will, hey, why hey, don't what, you take that you? one? <laughs> yeah, Be quiet or well. there. appreciate should that? You? Yeah.
0: Um obviously, Rachel and I are still uh in the we're we're way behind jack and joe we're tra- we're trailing quite a bit. all you need is have... triplets You're yeah then we'll we'll catch up right away um yeah, that's a tough one um because obviously it's not just the how many but you know you got the the concept of planning okay, how many years apart you know what what do we want the age difference to be and and I'll be honest, to me, it, it does a lot of times go to the mindset of, at least for me, what, what is the reason why I'm wanting just four? Or what is the reason I'm wanting five or six or three, two, how whatever the number is. Because I think for a lot of people, the the exact same reasons can apply for not wanting to have kids to, well, I only want two or three, right? I mean, I really don't want to pay for for three kids' colleges, right? Man, I really don't want to have to pay for for four girls' weddings whatever it is. And so if it's, if it's, if, it's, if that's somebody's viewpoint of, of why they only want two or three or four, to me, there is something wrong with that. As far as, you know, other reasons, I'm not going to come down here as hard. Rachel and I have a number in mind, but it also for us is one of those things where yeah, your dad is, is showing a picture of uh my uh, he's lonely right now. He's going to be one here very soon. It's insane. <laughs> um, dad just wants another grandkid, but no, anyway, my point is, <laughs> it's one of those things for Rachel and I, we have, we have a mindset, a view of this is about how many, but it's also God has other intentions, God has other intentions. And that's not some, necessarily something that we're of course going to be upset about in any way, might be a cop-out yeah, I, answer, I, but what, what do you guys have to add to that? I, so let me, so let me toss, you go, you can toss it wherever I, you want I, to.
3: Yeah. Let me, let me toss this out there. So, um, Luke was not planned or unplanned. Um Claire was sort of kind of planned. So our first two children, very much planned, almost to the point where it was like, okay, we're gonna look at a calendar and figure out when we want this child born, when Melinda didn't want to be pregnant, you know, she didn't want to be pregnant over the summer, kind of thing. And so I mean, it was those were planned, planned. Claire, not so much, Luke not at all. And what we did by towards the end of our reproductive years was basically took the approach of you know what if if God blesses us with another one great if he doesn't great we're going to be happy with whatever and we're very thankful he did I mean I cannot fathom our family without four and without his, his personality mixed into it so Jack you had a comment.
2: Yeah I was just going to say this is one of those that this is this is a non-answer, and I know that frustrates people sometimes, uh, in that every couple needs to have this decision on their own, They, but it's very much a heart thing. God's seeing your heart, and if your heart is, what Will is saying, that's ah, expensive, it's it's inconvenient, I don't want to, yeah, he sees that. If your heart on it is, you know what, I'm, I'm concerned about the health, I'm concerned about the strain, I'm concerned about whatever it may be, okay, it, it's a difficult thing, is what I'm saying, and so... Because the
0: other thing you have to consider is those are souls you're going to be accountable for right. as well when it comes to, to raising so. and, them to be faithful.
2: right? And so yeah. I think there's that. And so I think what I wanted to do in, in bringing this up is at least make people think about it. Because like my example of, of the friend from China, most people don't think about these things. It's what do we want? What is convenient for us? What fits our schedule? What's our life like? What, you know? And, and so why do church people who have kids end up almost as a rule with only two or three? For those reasons, well, I'm, we're supposed to have kids, you know. Like people, our circle of friends has kids. I guess it's time for us to have kids. All right, that's enough. We'll stop right there. We really got to be more intentional and thoughtful about this, and think of them as blessings. Think of this as something we're doing as a family before God. And if you're you're thinking that you're wearing weighing these things out, I think you're that. That's half the battle. That's not the whole battle. Your heart still has to be in the right place. But you know, uh, I I've joked about it before, but it's really true. We had first kid, second kid, like, and we we literally had the conversation, all right, they kind of came together pretty quick, let's uh, let's wait a little bit longer, no, two twins that came before our, our second son turned two, <laughs> so for like a month there, we had four you know kids under that, right? age four, yeah, you know what caused that, we had four kids under age four, it wasn't our plan, God said, here you go, it's a lot, it's a handful, if I had to pick it, I wouldn't have done it that way, but you just kind of leave it open to God's will, uh, and... And so, yeah, I don't I again I don't think there's hey, don't a right think, there's a, a, a hard answer we're gonna come down on this before we move on to the other stuff.
3: Don't you think though there has to be an element of faith? Because Absolutely. a lot of times I hear people say, Well, you know, you, you gotta feed them. You you gotta you gotta put clothes on them. And I'm thinking, um, yeah, doesn't the Bible speak about not worrying about some of these things? Not saying that that you are not going to have to shell out a, a bill at Kohl's or Walmart or Macy's or wherever you shop, Amazon, whatever. But at the end of the day, we have to have faith that if God blesses us with four, five, six, seven children, that we're going to be able to care for, feed, and clothe them.
2: Not only that, this brings us back full circle and I think transitions us well. I've seen studies on stuff of the more kids people have, the more money they make because they have to. You have to find out. You're like, you you. look at all these kids, like, how am I going to feed them all? I'm going to go work harder. I'm going to level up. I'm going to be more disciplined. And not only work outside the home, but organization. How much more organized Alice and I are with dishes, chores, things like that than we ever were with one kid or before we had kids. And so I think sometimes people put off having kids or only have so many kids because, oh, we couldn't do that. Well, you could, you you, you know, but when you're living the Netflix lifestyle, you, you're just kind of running at a minimum because you don't have responsibility. Well, you grow into keep it. In so mind,
1: keep in mind, keep in mind your tax return. It's three
2: thousand a kid. That's so, true. You're yeah, getting, I'm, I'm you're basically nice. not paying <laughs> change <changed> back. <laughs> right. That's exactly. That, that. helps. So, that wow. does help. Use that. <laughs> um, so, but with that, that brings us back to the people that say we don't want kids, or or even if they're saying it, we don't want right now. And so, uh, we want to look at birth control there's there's two different kinds there's and there's ethical and unethical kinds and this is one of those that i think a lot of people unknowingly go unethical routes so break us into what we're we're dealing with here brad
3: yeah and jack the reason we don't know anything about it how many sermons did you guys hear on birth control
0: if i wasn't a part of uh, your family i would go zero seriously
2: until you put out content with focus press i didn't know it was a discussion
3: yeah so um And, and you know, Melinda and I fell into that same category. There is preconception and post-conception birth control. And here's basically what that means. There are both birth control methods that prevent the sperm and egg from ever coming together, which means it never forms a life. A human baby is not formed. Post-conception birth control means that the... Embryo, the the baby human has been formed and you are doing something to either prevent it from implanting in the uterus. You're doing something to disrupt it and eventually leading to its death. Hopefully everybody listening can see there's a massive problem with the second category.
2: I have Post- to give the Catholic credit or- on this. Because, you know, when we have the discussion about abortion, we always say life begins at conception, but they're the only ones who come out and be like, yeah, that means no birth control that, you know, ends a post-conception child, ends that life. And it's very easy, you know, you've got the diagrams of a baby at six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, and say, yeah, you can't, we get way less particular about it when we're talking about just right there, post-conception, day after, morning after, things like that, and so... Uh, credit to them on that. Can, can you
1: give examples for what is preconception? What is post-conception? Because, and is this something that's, I, I know nothing. I'm not a Does Is this something, is this something written on the box to let you know, pre post? I mean, how do people <laughs> oh, no. know? I'm assuming oh, no. no. So how do people no. know?
3: So if you think of it this way, uh, preconception is going to be a barrier method. So for instance, uh, condoms, um, Diaphragms, anything that is going to physically block sperm coming in together with an egg, um, that is going to be a pre-con- preconception birth control method. Post conception would be things like an IUD, for instance, uh, intrauterine device, which um, I actually was doing a, a talk. Actually, I've done it a couple of places and mentioned IUDs being a post-conception and the fact that what you're doing is you're basically aborting tiny embryos. Had a lady just start bawling and she realized she physically had one in her body at that moment and had needed to get it out. Another one teared up. Let me know that she had no idea. And so there's a lot of folks out there who have these things or using these methods And they don't think anything about it.
1: I've heard there's a difference. Again, I know very little on this, but I've heard there's a difference between the types of IUDs, like a copper IUD versus a traditional, I think. Do you know the differences on whether one, because I've heard a copper is like 99.6%, not an abortive efficient, but I don't know
3: if that's, does that
1: track? Is that true?
3: Uh, Think about what you're saying and what, what it is. It's an intrauterine device, meaning it's going to mess with something in the uterus. Conception normally takes place in the fallopian tube. And then that embryo makes its way down to the uterus and implants. With that in mind, anything that's acting in the uterus like that is going to be post-conception. Gotcha. Um, Very, 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 very few pregnancies i think would I, I can't imagine a situation where you've got an egg that's in the uterus sperm hitting it and it implanting it's it's normally further on up the fallopian tube gotcha
1: good know right. right. what are so, your thoughts then ahead. on the pill
3: plan b oh, things like pill. that let's get into it uh, the pill probably the most um widely used by both Christians and non-Christians. It is the um it's the standard, the the gold standard, so to speak. And this is what Margaret Sanger helped them basically come up with and, and develop. A couple of things before we get into the ethics side of it, it is hormone based. Please understand when you start messing with hormones, there's going to be effects. There's going to be cascade effects. And so, yeah, the woman may not release an egg, but what are you doing to her overall personality? What are you doing to her weight? What are you doing to the possibility of her getting breast cancer? Uh, I don't think it's it's coincidence that breast cancer rates have gone up dramatically in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, When you've now got all these ladies who took birth control for 20, 30 years, and now we're seeing massive amounts of of breast cancer. Well, they were introducing hormones into their body. And so, you know, the first thing you got to talk about is what about just the safety and the, how it makes females feel? Um, Secondly, and this is a good question for you guys. Is birth control always, does it always work?
2: I don't think there's any of them that claims the 100%. Is there? <laughs> right. yeah, no.
3: So there are occasions where you have a breakthrough, right? Here's how the birth control pill works. You usually have two different components. They've got one that's, that stops the release of an egg. So if you don't have an egg, you're not going to have a pregnancy. That's a great thing period. And when I say that's it, a great thing, I mean, you're not producing life. You're not killing life. Okay. So it, it worked the way you want to, but we all know of people who have gotten pregnant while on the pill, which means there are occasions where this thing slips through. So the woman ovulates, she releases an egg. She's on the pill. She thinks everything's fine. She has relations with her husband. Boom. It's fertilized. Now what? Well, Now the pill's job is to make the uterine lining not conducive, uh, hostile, you might say, to a growing baby. And so in that instance, it acts as a post-conception birth control method. Um, Lots of folks don't like to think about that, don't want to think about that. Uh, I used to work at a place where people would send occasionally send emails and and they would say hey you know is the birth control pill okay and i was actually given a form letter by the the guy who was directing it at the time and he basically said hey you know can anytime you get that question here's kind of our our standard answer and the standard answer had to do with things like you know god knows your intent and He knows your heart and the statistics are so low that that you don't need to worry about it and that kind of thing. And I'm sure it made a lot of people feel good, but man, in hindsight, looking back on that, uh, I wish I had spoke up louder, stronger, and and firmer and reminded, hey, there are lots of cases where you've got a breakthrough ovulation and it's acting as a post-conception birth control method.
0: So so this can be a question for Dad or you other two guys, of course, can chime in. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of baffled as to why this is not more widely discussed. You think about how in line Christians are about certain things, right? There's certain issues. We've certainly hit them, things like modesty, uh, you know, public school, homeschool, things that are kind of divided on. Not everybody has a common consensus view on. Then there's other things like abortion, you know. I would say most, certainly a large majority of Christians would agree down the line wrong. They'll even say that, you know, life begins at conception. And so I'm curious, Dad, especially you and your experience, why is this something, if if it seems like it's so straightforward as you're laying it out, why is this something that's not talked about more? Why is this something that people, ministers, elders, people that are in positions of authority seem so gun shy about providing counsel on? If it is so straightforward as, as you're laying it out to be.
3: Because Margaret Sanger and her group did a phenomenal advertising job that, Hey, this is freedom for women. You don't have to be tied down anymore. If you want to go out and get your career, you can pop this pill, get your career, do your thing. You be, you empower you. And everybody bought it. Including by the way, in the church um nobody's pressed pause to say wait a second except and as jack rightfully mentioned the catholic church catholic church has said hey birth control pill it it also acts as a post conception we shouldn't be taking it and so the catholic church is one of the few that's actually stood up and said Mm-mm, we shouldn't be doing this
2: man uh, you brought up where people that when you've discussed this have stood up and said i i had no idea That's one of the worst things in the world for church leaders, such a, I mean, a condemnation against them that somebody, because I've seen the same thing with like divorce or whatever, where like years later, somebody's like, why did nobody tell me? Why did I not hear from the church that this wasn't okay? And the same thing, and this is something we've talked about off air, 13, 14 years old, a girl goes in, I've got acne, I've got this issue acting up or whatever, here, birth control pill. And like how many of them started and the parents, the daughter, you know, the, the girl herself, they don't have any idea of I'm not supposed to do this or this, this might have effects, this might not be a good thing and they just continue on with it and then you kind of got at something I think is very important there, the cascading effects of birth control in culture. Uh, it, it was the thing that made it okay for women to go out and be as se- sexually aggressive sexual revolution yeah the sexual Absolutely. revolution you got the 60s the free love thing abortion comes along in the 70s roe v wade all that and and it's just transformed society and the rise of feminism was we, we did an episode on feminism and how birth control was a central tenet of what they wanted to accomplish and essentially making women uh, the same as men in some ways the consequences consequence free sex is a big thing you see that with the abortion debate of my body my choice and i should be able to go have as much sex as i want without any consequences and birth control is what put that idea in people's minds i I don't know i think the the long-term fallout from it is terrible but i think even on an individual level and i don't know if you guys are ready to move on to this or if you had anything else to clear up all right let's go into this a question i've had uh, again a lot of christian girls start on uh birth control even no sexual activity just in high school middle school they just get prescribed yeah let me
3: let me real quick jump on that too jack so one of the beautiful things they did with their marketing is they got these pharmaceutical companies to not push it necessarily as a birth control means but as a regulation for your menstrual cycle oh and there's that added benefit that you won't release an egg and so it, it can so essentially, even if girls weren't sexually active, they were still encouraged to bingo. On and so how, how many times have you heard people say, well, you know, she has cramps every month. And so we, we went ahead and put her on the pill. That, that was by design. That's how the pill was basically marketed to two or three generations of ladies as, hey, make your menstrual cycle easier. Make it better. Make it smoother. No cramps, whatever. Oh, and by the way, you get the added benefit of not having to worry about getting pregnant.
2: I don't know how many times we have to learn the lesson that messing with nature, with what God designed, doesn't usually end well. And I, and so this is a question I had: is you've got a girl who gets on it, marriage ages are way higher, and so you've got a girl who has been taking it. She gets married at 28 years old. She's had it, been on the pill for literally half her life. 14 years old, 14 years, year or two later, she decides they, the couple decides we want to start getting pregnant. 15, 16 years old, we see a lot of infertility these days. Is there a correlation Massive. there, or am I crazy?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So the average age for a male to get married these days is about 30 Um, females, 28 to 29, somewhere in that ballpark, which means you're not having kids until usually 32 ish, which means that young lady probably started the pill back at 15 or 16. She's now been on it, like you say, 14, 15 years. And yet she wants to. Click a light switch and be able to get pregnant at her will, at her desire after for 15 years, giving her body synthetic hormones, shutting things down, ramping things up, moving things around to where, yeah, we got a lot of young ladies now who are are realizing I can't get pregnant. I, I need, I need help. I need artificial insemination. I need in vitro fertilization. And Oh, by the way, So you've got the pharmaceutical company making all these bucks from the birth control side. And now you've got the fertility clinics standing there with arms open wide saying, we can help you. Just give us your wallet. We'll take care of you. Yeah, we've got all these things. Don't ask the question if a Christian should do it. Just understand we can do it. We'll we'll get you your little baby.
2: And that's just another why didn't you tell me these things that i think you know a christian couple runs into and it. uh, man it's heartbreaking I, I think we've probably all known couples who have that struggle and again maybe they could have been prevented from this if the church had talked about it maybe this is something we could have gotten out ahead of we don't talk about it now we have this problem and so that leads them as you said because we're not talking about it they they go to the world's answers for these things which are artificial insemination in vitro fertilization that have ethical questions so why don't you get into the ethical questions of each of those and whether christians should pursue those options because i mean on the one hand it's why didn't you tell me on the other too little too late in some instances they are at that point you know infertility they have that struggle these things and and so now what now what do they do are these options available to them
1: and can you explain the difference between artificial insemination and in vitro
3: yeah absolutely so um Let's start with this. I realize this is highly emotional, maybe one of, if not the most emotional, definitely in the top two or three most emotional and emotionally charged issues that folks have to deal with. And you know, I've known people personally who have ridden that roller coaster every single month, hoping and praying that there's not another menstrual cycle, and lo and behold, there is, and their their hopes are dashed and let me first off say you can serve the Lord faithfully and righteously without children. Um, Some people need to hear that. And I don't say that in any kind of derogatory fashion. I don't say that to be mean. I just say that to remind you that if you don't have children, you can still serve the Lord faithfully. And that, getting that child should not become your idol. It should not be your be all end all kind of deal. Once again, you've got a mindset thing there, because that's not to conflict with what we
0: said to start the episode either about those who who could, but choose not to just wanted to clarify that.
3: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's say that you are struggling, you know, maybe you've been on birth control for 15 years. You take yourself off. You decide that you want to have kids and three years after that, you're realizing, Hey, this isn't as easy as I thought. What, what do we do? So you go to a fertility clinic. First thing they're going to try is uh, medication, pharmaceuticals. They're going to, well, uh, they're probably going to test both of you. They're going to see, is the woman releasing eggs? Uh, is the man producing enough sperm? And if if so, is it modal? Is it, is it able to, to do its job? Um, they will likely perform put you on a pill to help the the lady produce eggs, maybe even more um, so that you are super, super ov- ovulating. Let's say that doesn't work. You've tried that for six months and they say, hey, no problem. What we can do is we can take your, your egg, his sperm, put them together in a Petri dish, make sure that we've got a living, healthy embryo, And then we will put that inside of you and allow that to grow. That's artificial insemination. What you are doing is you are artificially inseminating the woman. And what I just described to you does not break the marriage bed. Um, It doesn't produce leftover embryos. And in that case, all you're doing is taking advantage of modern technologies that are available to us today that maybe weren't available 20, 30 years ago. Ethically speaking, because you're not producing embryos that are going to be destroyed because you're not introducing another person into the marriage bed. I think a Christian can use or take advantage of that particular procedure. However, um, let me throw this back to you guys. What happens when You start throwing in donor sperm or donor egg or a surrogate mother. Then what are we looking at? To me, that's always been something where you are,
0: in essence, adding to what God had planned to start. You know, that's one of the first institutions that he establishes is the family. One man, one woman. We talked about the be fruitful and multiply thing. Um, as somebody who has not studied it nearly as much as you have, of course, just on the surface level, that's something that kind of raises the red flag. When you talk about surrogates, when you talk about donor, you know, it's just one of those things you got to take a step back and look at and ask yourself: Are you are we adding to God's plan here? Are we, are we adding to the way that God designed it? You know, and we all oftentimes we talk about adding to um, worship and things like that in the worship assembly. As we have seen with uh, homosexuality, as we've seen with divorce, as we have seen with all kinds of things in our culture today, anytime you start tampering with, anytime you start messing with what did God originally design, what was his original plan, and you kind of take matters into your own hands. You think about uh, Abraham and Hagar in the Old Testament. That's pretty much what they did. Um, Sarah couldn't have, or Sarah, I I guess at that point, couldn't have kids. And so she said, all right, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to take this matter Mm -hmm. into our own hands. And so, again, I haven't studied, you know, in detail as much as you have, but just on the surface, it seems like a very similar scenario when you're talking about surrogates and things of that nature. You're tampering with something that God did not intend for you to tamper with. you That's got great. Jack Joe, what do y'all have to add to that?
2: That's a great point about Abraham and Hagar. The other thing is, as you brought up, it's emotional. There's a lot of desire here for the child, for you know, the family and, and all that comes with it. And I think sometimes that puts blinders to us that, just nature reveals certain things to us. And, uh, there, uh, you know, I've kind of known not directly but indirectly somebody who did the surrogate mother thing, carried somebody's baby, and how unnatural it was to watch where she they had pictures where in the room she gave birth, she was holding the baby and like left the room, handed the baby back, and then went on with her life. That's yep. like the maternal instincts, all that. This is so unnatural. And then you see, I'm going to add on top of that. Because it's unnatural, it's opening the door for stuff. Um, you guys are probably familiar with Dave Rubin. He's a conservative, quote unquote, ish blogger, YouTuber guy. He's a homosexual. And it's because of things like this has opened the door to, well, a man and a man can't produce a child, but we can pay a woman to carry a child for us. And so she'll do that for us, hand him over to us. It, it's not, again, you look at design, you look at nature, and there's just things that tell you, yeah, it wasn't supposed to happen this way
3: jack imagine imagine gloria and robbie your your two older children seeing allison be pregnant and knowing she's got a baby in there and you guys talking about the baby and then one day she goes to a hospital and she comes home with no baby and you have to explain to them oh yeah um mommy was a surrogate she gave that baby away yeah you imagine it it reduces you to a on. vessel. The
2: funny thing is Christians, you know, and people that might listen to this episode and be like, oh, this is The Handmaid's Tale. You just, you know, forced birth and making women carry. Like, that's the dystopian thing of looking at a woman purely as a flesh vessel to carry a baby for somebody else, uh, uh, like a, a walking test tube kind of thing. It's, it's just not natural. I mean, like you're and if if you're struggling with this concept, if you feel like this is hurtful or or offensive or whatever else, you know, deep down, it's not natural, you know, deep down, there's something about this, as you said, you know, she walks in with a huge belly, walks out hands free hold on, what just happened here? And, and it, not right. the same as adoption. You know, adoption might be she just can't, she feels pressured and she can't keep the kid, whatever else. But the idea that she knew going into the nine months, I'm going to carry this kid for nine months and just pan him off because I want to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for pay. They're going to give me thousands of dollars. Again, there's just something very off about the whole thing. And I, I think we got to listen to our natural instincts on that. In addition to what was brought up about biblical Sarah and Hagar and all that.
1: Well, and for Christians to use this, especially when other sperm is involved to make it a possibility, it's not fully your kid. And, which, and my understanding is it's very expensive. Why is adoption not discussed more in those circumstances to say, use the money for that to help somebody else who already has had life if it's not, and and maybe this shows my ignorance here, if it's not fully your kid because it's not using your sperm, it's not artificial uh, artificial insemination. Why is adoption not, I know it's expensive, but so is IVF. It's very expensive. Why is that not an option that's, that's kind of put on the table as much?
3: Yep. So let me, let me throw out, um, as we kind of wrap up the, the artificial insemination side, let me wrap up a, a, a very negative case and why it's dangerous when we start opening these doors. So true court case that, that happened, um, uh, several years ago where a husband and a wife wanted to have a child tried for several years, couldn't do it, ended up realizing they both had problems. So they got donor sperm, donor egg, created a child decided it would probably be best since they weren't sure if the mom's uterus was going to be hostile or not. They decided to use a surrogate baby starts growing healthy child, While it's growing, the tension, the stress from years of infertility and all the the problems that were going along with it caused the couple to have a divorce, get a divorce. Dad says, wasn't my sperm. That's not my child. Mom says, not my egg, not my child. Surrogate didn't want it. And so for the first time in U.S. history, a court ruled that there was a child born into this country that had no legitimate parent. It's terrible. Just terrible.
1: This is a legitimate thing.
3: Yeah, that's 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 why when you open the door, ethically speaking, to all the yes, we can do certain things. There's all kind of crazy stuff out there. But the question is, should we? Um, so let's, let's move into IVF for just a minute. So IVF in vitro fertilization, a different procedure. So now we've left just taking an egg from the mom, fertilizing it with dad's sperm, putting it back in mom and her being pregnant and and delivering now that didn't work. And so we got to take it up a notch to the next level. Uh, the next level is where we take multiple eggs from the woman, um, 12 to 15, we fertilize those. They are stored in liquid nitrogen. The And here's a part that nobody ever talks about. The best are selected out. So picture an embryologist looking through a microscope going, oh, you made the cut, you made, nope, not you. You didn't make the cut. So usually three are selected and we can get into the dynamics of why, I mean, most of, you know, in fertility clinics, the way they judge success is birth of a child. How do you increase your success rates? Well, you implant more than one. Most clinics implant three. That's why there's so many people that have twins and triplets when they go to fertility clinics. So we've selected out the best three. But remember, we took 12 to 15 eggs from this lady. We fertilized all of them. We put them in liquid nitrogen. What are we going to do with the leftovers? And that's the problem with IVF is we started a procedure that worked in, in many cases. I mean, it, it was giving people the children they wanted. But nobody was forethought thinking enough to go, hey, uh, we got 12 more fertilized baby like babies over here in liquid nitrogen. What, what are we going to do with all those here's a question
0: um again coming from the realm of ignorance on this that 12 to 15 number two questions one is it always that high and two what do you do in scenarios where and I, again don't know if this ever happens or not but for instance the couple might say we want to use all those eggs, and so then the element of discarding embryo embryos, <laughs> the element of discarding. That's why I was asking: is it always that high of a number? Because if there are okay. a, if there is a couple out there that says well, I want to use all those embryos, or we want to use all those embryos so that we're not discarding them, then yep.
3: what are the ethical implications of that? So, so let's let's use some real numbers just so that you and and the listeners can kind of get a better feel for what's going on. In order to do this, they have to give the woman a series of shots medication in order to get her ovaries to do something. God did not design them to do. And that is release a whole bunch of eggs at one time. So we're going to super ovulate, stimulate the ovaries and try to recover as many healthy ones as we can. Then we're going to take the husband's sperm. And sometimes they even will actually inject the sperm into the egg. Um, I think they call it ITS-EAR. its year. it has got its own little acronym. But they've got to fertilize that those eggs, make sure that that they've got a an embryo. All of that comes with a massive price tag. You're talking in the $30,000, $40,000 range. You're talking second mortgage, um, brand new car price range. And the reason I'm telling you that is because think about going to your doctor and saying, yeah, we want to do IVF. We just want to get one egg and we want to fertilize it. And we're going to try this just this one time. And then we, we, if that doesn't work, we're going to come back to you and do it again. And we're going to take another $40,000 price tag. Now what most people do is they go ahead and collect as many as they can fertilize those. That way, if this first round of in vitro fertilization. By the way, the first round normally does not work, and we're not sure why. Um, it's one of those dirty little secrets they don't tell everybody up front. But a lot of times the the statistical rates, first time eh, not as good. Second time, there's usually more um success and and usually attachment. But think about having to do this multiple times just to get a single child. You're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. So there's one of the reasons why they don't, they take a lot more. Um, They're not going to implant 12. Medically speaking, I don't know of a doctor that would because think about what that would do to a woman's body, especially if six, eight, ten of them implanted, then, then you got a whole nother medical situation you got to deal with. And so. You know, there are limits and, you know, all of this, we got to go back to all of this is getting around God's original plan.
2: I was just looking it up. It said there's a million cryogenically frozen in storage in America right now. Uh, A high abandonment rate of, you know, just people because the storage fees are pretty expensive. And so after a while, people think we're done. We're not going to pay for storage anymore. We're not maybe going to be able to afford the future treatments to try again. And so eh, just get rid of them. Uh, but the ethical conundrums, again, as we're talking about with the other stuff, so unnatural. There was a one where it was a, an embryo frozen in 1992, uh, was given birth to a couple of years ago. And so like conception wise, she was conceived a year, her, her mother, biological mother that she was implanted in here, uh, it was a donor one. And so the mom was a year old when that baby, uh, it's just, it just gets strange Uh, on top of the ethical, on top of the, we're throwing human lives away. And there, I know there's kind of the instinct of, it's not really a baby. It's not, again, either you believe human life begins at conception or you don't. If you don't, the burden of proof is on you is to figure out when it is. Uh, All scientific evidence points to conception. But if, as Christians, we're going to be consistent. You say it begins at conception. This is destroying just score i mean countless numbers of lives and so it's something that really has to be considered and just everything that's going to come oh, out that, of it you know it
3: jack the, the ethical dilemmas for this thing are just ongoing think about so now we've been doing ivf long enough that we have people who are dying and they've got embryos All right okay, what do you do with those who who gets those we have people who are divorcing one one parent wants to keep them. One doesn't. What do you do in that situation? Um, it just, the, the problems keep compounding and compounding. And all the while we keep storing more and more of these embryos. Um, I I've had elders call me and say, Hey, we're sitting here with this couple. They got into this situation. They didn't realize that, you know, the, the storage of embryos was going to be a part of it when they got into it. And they've been paying a storage fee for years. They're, they're kind of ready. Their family's set now. Is it okay to discard them? Well, folks, if you've got <laughs> elders asking me the question, is it okay to discard embryos? That tells me we've done a lousy job of teaching on the value of human life.
1: Okay, so I want to clarify real fast because maybe I'm just an idiot here. Artificial insemination, they take they take an egg, they take a sperm. It's a singular so it's fine. They implant the singular. IVF sounds, maybe I missed it. it. sounds like IVF is the same process, except they fertilize a ton of them. And then they implant it into the mother. So both are insemination. Both are implanting it into the mother, correct? But it seems like IVF just produces a ton. Why would they, like you said, it increases the odds, but it seems like it for a Christian, why would they not choose artificial insemination over IVF?
3: So they would try uh, artificial insemination first. If it's not working, um, let's say for whatever reason, then you've gone through two rounds, three rounds of artificial insemination. Then they're going to push you towards IVF, where okay, we know we can, we can go ahead and and fertilize multiple eggs we can in a laboratory actually watch those eggs start to develop mm. we can get them to a specific stage of development that we gotcha. feel is going to be the best for implementation we then implant more than one to up your odds and so now you're getting a bigger bang for your buck man gotcha
2: heavy gotcha. stuff here also- do you you got uh, you guys have any follow-up questions as we start to wrap joe no, I was just going to say, I've also heard even the idea of how a guy
1: gives the sperm is based in lust. You know, you assume masturbation is involved. And so I've even heard ethical dilemmas from that point of view as well of, you know, it kind of starts with something that's unnatural. It starts with something. And if you go back to, you know, back in Genesis, the man spilling his seed, you have you have conundrums and ethical dilemmas, I think, even from the very beginning of that before you ever get to it. But anyway, I was, as- yeah, that's,
0: that's the only thought. So as we get ready to wrap, I think Jack was about to take us in that direction. The last question dad that I have for you um is what are some takeaway pieces of advice that you would give? I guess more so to the church authority side of things, to elders, to ministers, to people who are going to be in positions where they're going to be counseling people. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, I'm sure there's a lot of you know, hopefully not, but maybe there's a few that are listening that are just sitting here going, I had no idea about any of this stuff. Uh, so maybe additional resources for them to take a look at. I know you've written and, and done a lot of work in this area. So I guess the two-part question, one, what are some resources that you would point yes, certain sir. people towards? And then also, again, just kind of broad general advice for elders, ministers
3: about how to handle this these types of issues. The first thing I would, I would recommend elders, preachers, and all Christians to do is refresh your memory of when life begins according to the Bible. Go back and look at Isaiah 49, 1 and 5. Look at Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 and 14. Look at Jeremiah 1, 5, all these different passages where it's clear life begins before birth. With God's view of life, then we start treating things, looking at these ethical dilemmas from a biblical worldview instead of an emotional or a secular worldview. And, you know, hopefully we can stop the process before you get into one of these conundrums, because let's be honest, um, it's IVF today. Who knows what it is tomorrow? They're going to continue to offer procedures to people who can't have children. The ethical side is not what they're concerned about. They're concerned about, can we produce a baby? They're not worried about, okay, are we are we getting outside the marriage bed? Is this going to have implications if they divorce? Is this going to have implications of of a lots of stored up embryos? All they're worried about is, can we do this procedure in, in the lab, make money on it and hand them a child? Um, so back to elders and preachers teach your congregation when God views life to begin, teach them what the difference between pre and post birth control, teach them what these uh, fertility practices are, which ones are in line with scripture. What happens when you start introducing donor sperm or donor egg into a, a marriage union and talk about it openly. This is what kills me is, You know, 99% of the people in your congregation have probably wrestled with a question of birth control at some point, and yet we don't talk about it. Take the time to educate yourselves. Um, Will, you mentioned writing on it. There is a book that I wrote a couple of years ago called Critical. It's an ethics book, and it is an ethics book geared for the everyday Christian. It is something that we did you know, that you can do in a adult Bible class to bring people up to speed on these and lots and lots of other ethical scenarios, uh, most of them in the the realm of medical ethics. But um, yeah, I mean, we we just got to educate ourselves. We can't keep sticking our head in the sand and doing what previous generations did. That's where Melinda and I were when we started our marriage. We don't want anybody else in that particular position.
0: It's great stuff. That
3: book is available on the on focuspress.org, of course, in the shop
0: uh, area. So, Dad, thank you uh, for that, Jack. Can,
2: yeah, I was going to add not, to that. Uh, you cut a DVD as well that that is kind of your full material on this called Parenthood Unplanned. Also on the Focus Press store, you can Google Focus Press Parenthood Unplanned, Focus Press Critical, uh, or go to our just focuspress.org and look those up. Great resources there.
3: Um, as always, we you guys solicit, with a uh... well, go ahead. Uh, can I leave you guys with with a quote? For, for this sure. This is a Margaret Sanger quote, and th- you know, to me, this this is why we need to be having this conversation um, in promoting birth control. She said this. She she talked in her own autobiography about quote unquote the Negro project, and she wrote about speaking to the Ku Klux Klan, and advocated for a eugenics approach to breeding for and listen to this this is her words for the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. End quote. Those are Margaret Singer's words. That's why she started birth control. That's why we're having this conversation. It was somebody who was determined to push eugenics and population control. And Christians need to wake up and realize that's not a part of Jesus' plan.
2: Yeah. Look at Pharaoh. Look at Herod. Killing children has always been Satan's side. And so, this reproduction, sex, everything we've done in this three part series is we got to reclaim this for God, take it back from culture. And we aren't kidding. When we say there's no minute of your day that Jesus doesn't have lordship over, no part of your life. And this is one of them. And sure. so that's why we cover this. Again, sensitive subjects. We're going to be back to the kind of stuff maybe you can listen to in the car with the whole family uh, starting next week. Uh, but talk to this stuff, with, or talk to your kids about this stuff. Check out Parenthood Unplanned DVD. Check out Critical, the book. We always solicit comments on YouTube, on Facebook. If you want to comment, please do. Great. If you have a sensitive question, message it us. Message it to us. We'll funnel them to Brad. Uh, I know these are just real world things you guys and Christians, everyone's dealing with. And so we want to be a resource for you on that end. Uh, again, thanks to Brad for joining us for this week and last. And thanks, if there's yes. nothing else, guys, we will wrap up with this Think Deeper.